for a preach. Darren has to sort of work us through and teach us things methodically. But I just get to cherry pick something really cool. And so what would you pick? I mean, I actually would like Psalm 23, but Tom stole that. Where is he? Did a good job, but he did steal it from me. So I reckon Romans 8, hey? How cool is Romans 8? And uh, Romans itself is such a, an awesome book. You know, when I was first saved, you know, I, I remember I read, read through the Gospels and I'd read parts of the Old Testament and then I got into Romans. And it was like, oh, I get this now. It was like Romans sort of, it's like Paul explains the Gospel and starts to pull things together and it's such an awesome and so, um, yeah, we want to focus on today. And, and it's a powerful um, verse, powerful um, Romans chapter 8. We probably know it pretty well because it's um, often quoted pretty well, often quoted, but I'll start to read it. Okay, so Romans 8, and we'll start at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's an awesome, wonderful piece of scripture, isn't it? And um, I want to just focus on that section. And sometimes it's almost pulled out a bit that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, there's a zone that I shouldn't go to. <laughs> we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, the book of Romans was written by Paul, a Roman citizen to the Roman church. Now, the context of a conqueror to them was a conqueror was, was it. He was the guy. Um, so if you lived in ancient civilization, <laughs> um, if, you had a, if you lived in a great city or anything, um, that was wonderful. But if you didn't have a big army, <laughs> if you didn't have someone who was going to defend that, someone was going to come along and knock you over. And um, that's really the way it worked. And so he, those with the biggest, strongest army won, basically. And the Romans were the ones 
with the biggest <laughs> and strongest army. And they, were, they had great soldiers and they, they had military position. But even with those great soldiers, if they had a bad leader, <laughs> which did happen at times and legions were wiped out, it didn't always end well. So what they needed was a general, someone who could take them into victory. Right? And so that was important to the Romans. To the, Romans. the Romans were really very much about power, very much about strength, and they conquered the known world at that time. And they celebrated their victors and their victories. And there was a sense that they would pronounce that to all their empire. Now, the most minted coin that the Romans ever produced, right, it was on the back of it, it had uh, a lady and she was leaning against an olive tree, right? And that was a pit the olive tree was a picture of Israel. The lady leaning by, by herself and sort of with her head down was a sense of someone who had been widowed and had lost everything. So it, what it was, it was actually a picture of the destruction of Jerusalem, right? And that coin was put everywhere. And what the Romans were saying was, don't mess with us or you are going to end up like Jerusalem. <laughs> don't you do what they did because what they did was silly and you're going to end up like that. So there was always a sense that they would proclaim their power. And one of the ways that they did that, they would have a thing called, they'd call it a triumphus. We call it a triumph. And um, so what would happen if there was a general and if they had conquered territory and won a war, and I think they had to kill, have killed about 5,000 people in that war. So there was sort of a set amount then <laughs> they would be celebrated. This conqueror would be celebrated by the Romans. And so what they would do, the, um, it was the senators and it was the city that would sort of meet together and then they would pronounce that this guy was going to be celebrated. And so they would have this march and it was called the Triumph. And they would do, it would take a whole day. And firstly, it was all the dignitaries of the city would march through. And in a sense, they were sort of, it was like they were proclaiming that this guy, you know, is to be celebrated. And then they would have these wagons. And these wagons would have all sort of pictures and uh, big artwork. And it would show drawings of battles and the areas they had won. And, and it would just give people an education of, of the things that had happened and the victories and the lands that have been taken. And then they would start to bring through the treasures. First, they might come with animals, if they were elephants or giraffes or whatever area. They would try and bring through things that were interesting, things that were in that area that had been won um, by th through that land that was conquered. So they would have that. Then they would start to bring the treasures through and artwork and statues and then gold and coins and, and all those sorts of things. And the people would see that coming through. The next thing they would bring were the prisoners. Now, if it was a leader 
or many of the leaders, they would come through first and the king, if they had a king that was great, they'd have him dressed up as a king and at the end they would execute him. And as the Romans were a pretty brutal mob. And, um, and many of the leaders themselves as well, the soldiers that were in charge, they were to be executed. And um, then there would be others. Some soldiers would end up going into the Colosseum um, and, and fighting there. There would be prisoners who would become slaves. And so all these people would be marched through and they were like showing off their victory. And of course the next person that would come through was himself the conqueror. The conqueror who would receive all that glory um, from the crowd. Rome was shut down for the day. Everybody was there to hail him. And the conqueror would be in a chariot drawn by four white horses. Um, there would be laurel, laurel branches all around. And laurel was, um, was a picture of victory. Still use it today in some things. The, um, there would be gold all around. And there would be, he would be dressed in purple cloth and also with gold breastplate. He would just be dressed up well. Behind him would be a slave. And the slave on the chariot would hold a golden crown over his head. And he would be whispering into his ear the Latin, which is memento mori. Memento mori. And it, it means, remember, you are mortal. <laughs> right? So there was so much glory and honour going on, he would have to have a slave behind him saying, remember, you are mortal. Now, no one's ever had to tell me that, even on a really good day, right? Even when I've done my best, no one says, Steve, just remember, mate, you're mortal. My body tells me that, though, <laughs> daily. <laughs> so remember you are mortal. Now, his face was painted red, and that was the picture of their god, Mars. And Mars was their god of war. Right, and so not only would he get this praise, but it was almost veneration, it was almost worship because he was like an image of their God to the Romans. Right, so you picture this, this guy coming down and receiving all this glory, all this attention, being venerated in a sense. He is how the Romans saw a conqueror. And so when we look at this verse and we say, and it says, you are more than a conqueror, we are more than conquerors, to the Romans, <laughs> it's, it's big, isn't it? You know? It's a big understanding of what a conqueror was. But it's deeper and better than that. Now, the book of Romans, they say, was probably written in about 56, 58 AD. 
So, um, and at the time, there was quite a, a large church that had grown in Rome. And they didn't really know why, because it didn't seem that there were any apostles who had, who had been sent out. Paul hadn't been to Rome at that time. And some say that it might have even been from Pentecost, where people were visiting and were saved, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in different countries, and that possibly the gospel was brought back there. Because really, not a lot of years after Christ's death, there was a big, vibrant church in Rome. So this is written in 58, 56 AD. In 50, or in 64 AD, very, very serious persecution would break out against the Roman church. And it's possible, or seems, maybe that Paul was prophetic in that sense. He's written this about six or eight years before. And he says in the scripture, he says, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And so what actually happened in 64 AD, the Emperor Nero, now he was a nasty guy, right? <laughs> Historically, he did a lot of bad things. Um, and what happened was, r much of Rome caught on fire. And the people blamed Nero for it. They thought he had done it. And there was probably a good case that he had. He was that sort of character. Also, in the area, I think, where the fire started, he built his brand new palaces, <laughs> right? Very lavishly built. It seems like they might have been already planned and prepared. So, so of course, then the people, I mean, it was a bad thing for Rome. It was a massive fire. It went for five days. And so there was, the people were angry with Nero. And so Nero um, wanted to divert that. So what he did, he, wanted, he decided that he was going to blame the Christians for it. He took some Christians and he tortured them forever long until there was some sort of confession or seemed to be a confession that they had burnt Rome, that they had set fire. And Christians at that time were pretty unpopular in Rome. They were seen as a kind of a secretive mob they weren't really known. They didn't understand um, about the Eucharist and about, you know, it was, was even thought that they were, there was cannibalism going on, um, eating the body, all that sort of thing. So, so in some ways it kind of won the crowd over. But what the Roman church actually endured was brutal, absolutely brutal what um, Nero did to the Christians at that time. I mean, they were burnt, torched, um, wild animals were set upon them, they were in the Colosseum. And there's a historian who talked about it, and he actually said that it was a multitude of Christians. He was there that, he was around that time that were executed under Nero. And it, went, it was for a prolonged time and it went to the point that even the Romans themselves, who were used to and enjoyed that sort of stuff, 
actually started to feel compassion for the Christians. And, um, and so it came to an end because Nero started to see that he was losing the crowd and that it was starting to become unpopular. But the church had suffered enormously. I mean, if you're talking about multitudes of Christians being killed, I mean, what would that look like? What would that look like for us as a church with maybe half of our members missing when we come on a Sunday? Not because they've gone to the beach, but because they've been killed and they died a pretty ugly death. What sort of, what would that do to your faith? How would a church, how would you continue to, to go in some ways? And what sort of gospel would you have? I mean, it's not going to be a prosperity gospel you're preaching to people, is it? You know, come and God is going to bless you. Come and you might die an ugly death. Might be a possibility. So... So this is really, I mean, and this is um, the Roman church, what they went through. And so when we look at being more than a conqueror, we need to open that up and look at the depth of that. And I was thinking about that, that image. I was thinking the image of the conqueror. And I was thinking about the people who were on display. And they're on display before the crowds of Rome, chained up. They'd been won in victory. And I was thinking, well, that could, there could be a Christian in those mob. Probably more than likely, all the parades they had, there were, were Christians that would have been captured. And maybe even the general said, look, look, Nero, I've caught some Christians for you. <laughs> you know? So as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, well, here's the picture, isn't it? You've got your conqueror on one hand, you know, and you've got your Christian maybe slave or enchained to be condemned on the other hand. And this verse is saying we are more <laughs> than conquerors. And to a Roman it would look almost ludicrous to be saying that because you've got this guy who is, in, he's, He's wearing gold. He's wearing purple. He's being venerated. You've got probably this guy, probably in rags, who's probably been jailed and is dirty and is probably being abused, probably being mocked by the crowd. You know, you've got this guy who is free and in control of his own destiny. And then you've got this guy who is a slave and is going to be led to his death, who is powerless. What a picture it is, isn't it? It's, it to me, it's, it's kind of striking that you could have such a, um, such a difference. You know, the victor, the victor who is being celebrated. But this guy would just seem like a loser, like someone who has been defeated, someone who has been captured. And yet, can he be more than a conqueror? In Christ, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And um, so I want to just work that through a little bit. 
as we sort of think about that, how? Michael. <laughs> Bless you, man. <laughs> so I just wanted to sort of, you know, just if you saw those things through natural eyes, you'd just be going, no way. I'm like, oh. But of course, as Christians, we, we view things through a different perspective, don't we? We view things through the eyes of faith through the word of God, through our trust in Jesus. And so, for many things in life, we have a very different perspective on things. And so maybe even some of those things that we see, you know, the emperor, or the, the emperor or the victor is in his moment, isn't he? He is in his glory. So I want to read this scripture to you. It's 1 Peter 1.15. Is <laughs> um, probably one twenty-four. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So you have a guy who is in his moment in his glory like a flower he is in full blossom but the truth is it's a moment <laughs> a moment in time thousands of years ago thousands of years ago what is that like in eternity you know do you want to live for the moment you know, this guy here, the slave, he's in a moment too. It's not a wonderful moment, but it will pass. It will pass. I want to read to you. Paul, 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So that's eternal perspective. And don't we need to have eternal perspective? So important as Christians. And so, so many times we can get caught up or see the successes or see the things that happen. But we have to understand and view our lives and our world with an e eternal perspective perspective you know he says for our light and momentary troubles Paul is calling his troubles 
light and momentary. Paul was beaten by rods. <laughs> Paul was, in other places, nearly beaten to death many times. He was shipwrecked. He went through all sorts of persecutions and troubles. And yet he's calling those things light and momentary? <laughs> Is that an eternal perspective? Absolutely. Absolutely. Light and momentary. How much do we need that in our own lives? So, maybe some other questions. This is the guy in power. <laughs> this is a guy with authority and this is a slave. But if you look at it through biblical pers perspective, who's the real slave? <laughs> Who is the real slave? Because you can be as free or seem as free as you like, but you can be bound up like anything. Bound up by hatred, bound up by sin, bound up by bitterness bound up by fear. You can be bound up by so many things. You know, the Bible says here, sins is a slave to sin. The Bible talks about that we're all we're slaves. But now, we've been set free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. How powerful is that? Who's the real slave? You know, the gospel in Rome, it was often many slaves that became Christians. It was often the poor, the um, badly treated, but people who were slaves but that found a freedom in Christ. A freedom in Christ. We have a freedom. In him. Sometimes we forget. Forget what God has done, what he's brought us. And I think that picture, you know, to me it paints such a picture and it challenges me to understand what I have in Christ. If one was in incredible garments, being honoured and venerated, and, and one was probably dirty and, and probably in rags, but, you know, there's a picture in the gospel of clothing, you know. Of clothing. The Bible talks that our own righteousness can be like filthy rags. <laughs> but God has clothed us with his righteousness. He wants to clothe us with humility and righteousness and goodness and love. And you can look like you want on the outside, <laughs> you know, but really... What, what has God clothed you with? What are you really like? And so you can see a picture like the conqueror. And yet, you know, what's really going on? And so we've got to look deeper sometimes, don't we, in life? You know, the victor in charge of his own destiny. The victor who has won the praise of the people. You know? He is receiving glory and praise. But you know what? You don't want to live for the crowd. <laughs> it's not good. You know, Jesus himself, when he went into Jerusalem, you know, he went on a donkey. He was their new king. 
right? They saw him as this new Messiah coming into Jerusalem. And it was Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the king. And they were honouring him. And, you know, I don't think Jesus got too caught up in that because it wasn't too long later that the crowd were yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Crowds can be fickle. Don't live for the crowd. <laughs> Don't live for the crowd. Now, I remember someone telling me about living with an audience of one. <laughs> you know, having a life where you say, you know what? It's you, Lord. You're my crowd. You're the one I want to please. It's you. Lord, I want to hear. At the end of the day, well done. Good and faithful servant. What more do you want to hear than that? You know, who needs the glory of the crowd? So, I want to read this. You know, I guess I've maybe believe I've given you some good reasons why. Why a Christian who is going through so much can be more than a conqueror. Why you in Christ? Why you're more than a conqueror? Paul gives one reason. Just one. And it's pretty cool. Start it again. For your sake we face death all day long. For we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Paul gives one reason <laughs> why we can be more than conquerors because of the love of God because you are loved by your creator and nothing not anything can separate you from that love whatever you're going through whatever situation whatever it is God's love is there for you you know, sometimes we can read the scripture more than a conqueror and we can think, man, that's something I've got to pump myself up for. You know, Maybe I've got to be a successful person. Maybe I've got to be an achiever. I'm more than a conqueror. But that's not what it's about at all. It's about in your moment, maybe your worst moment, God's love is there for you. His inseparable love. And you are more than a conqueror in him. In him. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, <laughs> I've through many seasons, and, you know, you get saved and you get excited and you realise how much God's grace and goodness and love and power is there for you. And then sometimes we just sort of go along life and we kind of lose it a little bit. We kind of... Forget where our strength is. Forget 
our foundation. And, and sometimes it's almost like we need a little bit of stripping back. <laughs> sometimes have you ever gone through those times where it's like God stripped you back a little bit and you seem to find him afresh. It's like you find where your strength is. You find that it's the God of grace and power and love has always been there. Kind of drifted off a little bit. And I'm often challenged when I read something like this, that if God's strength and power were there for the Roman church, for those who went through so much, it's there for me. His grace is there for me. See, the reality is, as much as you could see that the Roman church were, I mean, they were, they went through it. And that's not the only time they went through it. They went through it again and again and again under many different seasons. And yet, they continued to grow. They continued to grow and grow and grow until eventually they really conquered the Roman world, where Christianity became the thing in the Roman world. After all that persecution, man, you could not stop that church. And boy, did they try. And so not only, I mean, Paul's words are prophetic in that sense, aren't they? You are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And that's powerful too, the sense that we are more than conquerors. Because sometimes we get a bit focused on me. <laughs> oh, I'm more than a conqueror. Paul's not saying I'm more than a conqueror. He's not saying you're more than a conqueror in a sense. He's saying we are more than conquerors. He's talking about his church, God's church. God's powerful, victorious church that was able to conquer through everything. And in Christ, we are part of that. And we are more than conquerors in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this powerful gospel, God. Lord, that you have set us free. That you love us, Lord, with an inseparable love. Lord, we just bless you. We thank you for this, God. Pray for anyone today, God. Maybe anyone that doesn't know you, God, doesn't know that God of grace and power and love, that they would come to you and know what it is to be set free by you, Lord. We just thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that we are overcomers in you through anything, Lord. Lord, that our strength... And our power is in you, God. Lord, we just thank you. We want to bless you, God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, God.